0: Welcome to another uh, Class in the Bunker. Um, Glad you've started to join us here. This is our second class of the semester. uh, And uh, I'm excited to be back doing this. As always, um, uh, the way that uh, Facebook looks at uh, uh, things that get posted, uh, please go ahead and hit like and just give us a quick note about where you're uh, from. Judy, I think you won the this uh, last week being the farthest away uh, there in northern Idaho. I'm just wanted to see if we got anybody a little bit further out. So again, please give us an idea where you're where you're checking in from and hit like. So again, good to have you here. Now, it's going to be kind of a fun one today. I, I think it we're going to go after kind of a particular thing that we're seeing, and I think it starts to rise within kind of the Old Testament, but uh, early on in in uh, the mid-1830s, late 1830s, Pawnee Pratt is sent off, sent on kind of an emergency mission uh, back to New York to talk to the, the converts that he had there. Particular mission, what was he after? Well, uh, the, the vision, as it was called, section 76, with, the, with the, the three degrees of glory, was now starting to be read And disseminated a little bit more and it was almost what joseph smith had feared about this that is that where there were some that looked at uh, the three degrees of glory as a wonderful uh, way of uh, bringing glory to more and more of father in heaven's children in some areas like parts of england and new york it was, it was hit with a firestorm because people had been so steeped in the idea of a heaven and a hell that the idea that uh, more people would be, or less people would end up going to hell. More people would be in some kind of heaven, some kind of glory. And that was met with uh, disgust and disbelief. They, they just didn't believe in some ways that God was that merciful that that would be far too kind. And, and as it turned out, there were a number of them that when Parley Pratt got there would not back off the idea that we just want, we just want people in hell. The fire has to be real and it has to reach, reach out to a lot of people. And they ended up leaving the church as a, as a group based on the idea that they thought that Section 76 was heresy because it preached that there might be more than more heavens than what they were used to. Now, to a certain degree, I think that that way of looking at things is, is a little broader than that. It is certainly part of the Protestant baggage that um, those first generations of the church brought with them into the church, and it's part of the Protestant baggage that continues to... Exist at some points in the way that we look at salvation and we look at what Father in Heaven has in store uh, for His children. And a number of times I've wondered why is that? Why do we stumble on this? And why is this a hard doctrine? Why do we want more... We want God to be more vengeful? and And why do we want there to be more flames than what we sometimes might think. And as I've looked at this and, and kind of looked through the scriptures, here was here were some of the answers that, that I, I tried to come up with. First of all, isn't it interesting that if we're going to look when we're going to hear words like judges and uh, judgment bar of God and justice and 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 those kind of penance and repentance, all of those Really, kind of take us to our our modern judicial system, as we've talked about uh, in another class. And so, when we think about courts and we think about a judge sitting in court, handing out uh, uh, rewards and penalties based on our actions, here here's the way we tend to go. We, if, um, well, and, and let, let, let me back up. Whoop. Oh, okay recently to, to kind of uh, um extend this just a little bit i was aware of a of a recent court case where uh, a defendant was uh committed a crime uh that that harmed some other people uh the defendant had to serve a number of months in in jail before finally made it to court found guilty then it went to the judge whose job it was to uh, to uh, uh, pronounce the sentence based on that guilty uh, verdict uh, what the judge did was find him guilty and then uh, told him that the sentence was ju- uh, time served and because he'd already served some time in, in jail waiting for trial time served and, and the defendant walked out of court and was, was then free well, the court was left in an uproar because the the feeling was for a number of people in that court that uh, he'd been slapped on the wrist, that justice was not served, that uh, just, justice had been mocked, uh, and that this defendant had not paid enough and was not going to be paying enough for his crimes. And And when we get into that mode, we tend to look at our our judicial system through that idea of earthly courts first of all we want to know was justice served when we hear how a, a sentence went was there enough penalty to match the the crime you know and and so we want to make sure it's it's equitable because you know somebody who is commits like involuntary manslaughter is judged and sentenced differently than somebody who committed first degree murder because of the intent and their desire and everything, they get a whole different sentence. So we wanna make sure that uh, the punishment fits the crime. Anything less than that one way or the other, we think justice has been not served very well. The other one is, and, and in, a, in a society like ours, it's, it's very much uh, an important function to this, is if, if the punishment doesn't fit the crime, especially if it's under punished, that the defendant will believe that they could go out and commit the, the sin again. So in order to protect society, we want to make sure that the punishment is heavy enough that people will think twice before they rob a bank uh, or before they're going to punch somebody uh, and that they won't keep repeating the things that they're doing. That doesn't always work, but that's certainly the idea behind trying to make the punishment uh, fit the crime. So all of that works in a society built on the rule of law and that laws need to work that hold people in place to certain behaviors that enable society to be safe from one another and enables us all to be able to go about our business feeling like we are protected by the law because based on that, then we will go ahead and be more likely to obey the law ourselves. So if the rule of law is in place, we have a nice peaceful society where I'm free to, to build my business or take care of my family, works just fine. But the punishment must fit the crime. Now, why is there a problem with that? Well, the problem comes not in our society. The problem comes when we take that whole framing of how this should work on earth and we want to then lay it on top of God and make God follow the same logic. So let let, let me give you uh, a few examples from Scripture to where we see God not following that logic and we see the pushback coming from people who want that logic and are going to be upset when that logic is messed with because of their own experience in their own secular world, okay? So, so one of those places that, that is most obvious, that I think most of us are aware of, we think about uh, the, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And, and we remember this, and I won't go into a lot of detail on this. But remember this one, where where the, the owner of the vineyard needs people to work in his vineyard, group of people are there, first thing in the morning. Uh, he hasn't got work for everybody, so he's going to grab some the at 6 a.m., first thing in the morning, and have this group go work in the vineyard. Then, and so they do, and they're pleased as punch with the with the wage that he's gonna pay them. They agree on it, sounds good. A Few hours later, there's more work to be done, he gets more workers involved, they go off to work. We keep going, you remember, multiple times, till we get some just shortly before dusk, I call these the five o'clockers, and, and they're done at six. So at five o'clock, he has, still has some things to do, he grabs the remaining workers, he sends them into the vineyard, off they go to work, um, and everybody's happy until that moment, right? That we, that we know about in this parable. And that's the moment where it is, time to hand out the money, and sure enough, those at six o'clock a.m. got the wage that they were expecting, they're happy. Then to their increasing horror, they find that the people that went in at nine a.m., and noon, and three o'clock, all got the same wages. So then they watch him further, and then to their horror, the ones at five o'clock in the evening who only worked for an hour got the same wage. Suddenly the wage the six AMers were holding on to wasn't as good as they thought it was. And the ones at five PM are overjoyed because they thought they'd get just a few pennies and they get the full wage. And remember that that Uproar among those that have been working since 6 a.m. That, that didn't think this was fair. They thought it was fair when they got the wage. It's now not fair only because the ones at 5 p.m. got paid better, got the same as them. And you remember uh, the the response of the owner is, uh, and he calls them friends. Friends, wasn't I fair with you? Wire, and this is my money, I can do with it however I want. Why are you so upset? And they are upset. So hold on to that idea for just a second uh, because I want to give you another example of how that potentially works. Jonah, dear Jonah, um, after he climbs out of the whale's mouth, finally goes to uh, uh, fulfill his mission to go to Nineveh and preach repentance. And then he preaches repentance and then he goes and sits under a gourd, remember, to watch Nineveh burn. Except they repent. And he's in shock. And in fact, he feels upset. These are people that have done bad things. God shouldn't be honoring their repentance even though it was Jonah fulfilling the God's calling to go preach to them repentance. How dare they do it? I did it, but I didn't think they'd repent. And not only that, if they're going to do what they did and then repent, they're getting away with it. You're giving them a little celestial slap on the hands and they're going down the road and that's not the way it's supposed to work. And Jonah is upset at this miscarriage of divine justice that didn't punish people as much as he thought they should be. Like the workers in the vineyard, something has gone wrong here and God doesn't understand what God is supposed to be doing in punishing more harshly than Jonah thought should be happening. Okay, so let me give you one more of those that, I, that jumps out at me and one that I'm actually doing some writing on at the moment. And that is, uh, and it comes from the wonderful uh, in intricate Fully developed uh, parable in uh, in Luke 15, where uh, if, if we recall, the 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 Pharisees see that Joseph or that Jesus has invited to his table publicans and sinners, eating at his table, probably in Capernaum, probably at his mother's house, and they and they are eating, and he's eating with them. The Pharisees are standing there. They wouldn't go in where the, the sinners are, but they're going to stand on the outside and they're going to look in and they're going to see Jesus and they can see that that they are being these sinners are being fed at his table and they say this man this man eats with publicans and sinners and this shouldn't be and so Jesus is going to then step and stand between them and the Pharisees and he's going to give the parable but is a parable with three parts. You recall the, the first parable is the parable of lost sheep. The second parable is the one with lost coins, the woman with lost coins. And the third, the much more developed one, is the parable of the pro, uh, that we call the parable of the prodigal son, should be called the parable of the prodigal sons, or the parable of the generous father would probably be the most accurate. Uh, and again, we know this—we know this story well—that that the younger son uh, wants his inheritance early. Dad's, Dad's not dying fast enough. He wants his inheritance now. Uh, the father gives him this inheritance, uh, and in order to do that, there's not money in the bank. In order to get the the inheritance, they would have to sell part of the land to be able to turn it into cash to be able to give to the son so he could go off among the Gentiles, which he does. And you recall that that works and, and it says that he's living his life in riotous living. Uh, he spends his silver among the Gentiles and that works until it says a the drought came and then he's going to find work wherever he can and finally he's... Feeding pigs, which for a Jew would just be uh, unclean. and he's not even able to eat the corn husks that the pigs are eating. So he's being mistreated in, in that world, even as a servant. So then he makes up his plan. he says, "I will go back. And in my father's servants are treated better than this, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and see if I can be dad's servant. And I think part of the plan is if I'm his servant, I can pay my way back into good graces with dad. So he does. He comes. And you and recall as he comes that father sees him coming. He's watching for him. And before he can even get there, father is going to sprint uh, out there. He's going to see his son. Uh, He wraps him close son starts his speech father I'm not worthy to be called thy son um, and he's going to then launch into and I will be your servant he never gets that far dad doesn't let him what he does he turns immediately to his servants that have come behind him and he says immediately put a, a ring on his finger emblematic of the, the seal he can do. he's back he can do business in his father's name and put the robe on his shoulders he is an heir put shoes on his feet and then what he says is after he gets a ring and the robe now kill the fatted calf and we're going to celebrate we're going to celebrate because he has returned home he was lost and now he's found and and so there's much joyousness because of this son that has returned well again the the parable starts with the idea that there are two sons and we recall that uh, everybody is happy the son, the father the village, the one who is not happy is the older son and the older son is going to come in from working, he hears the party going on, he sees what's going on, he sees that his younger brother has returned and he's angry and he refuses to go into the feast so the father has to get up out of the feast in, in full view of everybody in the village and go out to his son who's, who refuses to go in and be part of the party. And, and the father is kind of incredulous. He's saying, what are you upset about? And he says, well, you've never done this for me and I've always served you well. And he says, son, everything I have is yours. And the, and the son is saying, Listen, he, he burned through your money and right living and with prostitutes and this just isn't, this isn't right. Um, and the father says, everything I have is yours. But the Savior brilliantly ends the parable right there. So that you're left to not know whether the, the son will go into the, the feast or not. And it's beautifully paralleled with the the speech that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. In a sense, they have become, and he's obviously going after the Pharisees as the older son who is complaining that he would accept these sinners. And the question is that it's left there. And even Luke leaves it blank to not even say whether the Pharisees then went in to eat. And in all likelihood, would not because they would have seen themselves as unclean. So, for just a second, I want you to take a look at um, as you put all these together. I think without, if we're not careful, sometimes in our lives, we might get caught up in what I call older sonistic logic, older sonistic logic, the way that we think, and. And the the thoughts behind it sound something like this. And, and, And let me know if you think I'm anywhere close here. First of all, we start with the idea that if I'm going to obey God, that obedience tends to be pretty painful and it's a sacrifice. I'm having to sacrifice doing other things that I really wanted to do. So actually obedience is not doing, not getting to do the things I really wanted to do. But I will be obedient, I will sacrifice, I will forego all the fun stuff uh, and do the stuff I'm supposed to do. I would like to watch the football game, and so I'm gonna go to sacrament meeting and listen to the High Counselor speaker. That was painful, so I've gone, but I've sacrificed. I'm good, okay? As part of that then, very subtly and maybe we don't always think of it this way, but if we see obedience as painful and sacrifice, then we're going to believe that therefore God loves those who obey him more than those who don't obey him. Those who obey him are loved more than those who won't obey him. Does that make sense? Now, right behind that comes this one then. This logic. I have obeyed him more than you have. I've done good stuff, you haven't. I've obeyed him more than you have. Therefore, he loves me more than he loves you. And because of that, he will reward me more than he's going to reward you because he rewards those that he loves more than those that he doesn't like. And I sacrificed and I did what I was supposed to do, therefore I'm more loved, therefore I will be more rewarded. You should see my mansion in heaven. It is spectacular. And you'll be lucky to have a little ling to by the river because he loves me and he hates you by what you did. So if that's the case... God rewards those he loves more than those, that that logic. Then what what comes behind that? But, if I find out, like the six AMers, or the older brother, or Jonah, if you appear to get the same reward for what looks to me like less work if you get the same reward or maybe even more than me more of the heavenly goodies I've been robbed I got had and you got off easy you got to stand you got to walk into court do the fun stuff and the judge slapped you on the hand and let you go have more good stuff so what was all this for, all this sacrifice and I was going through? I've been wrought, I've been had, okay? And you got off easy. And I can be angry at God, but I'm really going to be angry at you. That's just not right. See, as it turns out, fairness demands because of my obedience, because of my righteousness, fairness demands that I receive more reward than you do. Why? Because I have determined you deserve less because of your behavior I took on being the judge God isn't God has, has messed up here somehow so I will take over and I will be the judge of what should happen and what shouldn't and what you deserve and what you don't So fairness determines in the way I look at it. Fairness will be what I think it is. And that fairness can be a little out of whack as long as I get more good stuff because of my obvious uh, obedience. Now, uh, recently in in the not too distant past um, I had a, a client of mine uh, whose, whose uh, wife had been involved in some things that she shouldn't have and uh, finally after causing him pain and hurt she went into the bishop uh, she repented uh, she got back, her life back on track and, and got going again but my client was still angry, and he and he and he came in and he said, "I can't believe that when she goes to church, people are nice to her and they love her like nothing ever happened." And he's like, and he's saying, "Don't they realize what she did?" And they just act like nothing's going on. In fact, the bishop gave her a calling, and she just gets up and she's doing her calling, and and they just. They have, it's like they've forgotten the bad stuff she did and finally after he got talking I just said are you wanting her to bleed more <laughs> has she not been you want her beaten more do you want her to suffer more and he said no it's just not right that you know that she did these things and now she just he says yeah maybe I didn't want her to hurt more I hurt, I wanted hurt to hurt like I hurt. As if saying, going through the repentance process wasn't painful for her. But I want more blood. I want more pain. And it didn't happen. At least the way I thought it should be. And that's similar to when I have people come in and say, I will forgive, but I ain't going to forget. To which uh, President Kimball used to say then you didn't forgive but it's when it's that fairness doctrine starts to kick in it's the older brother itis so in all fairness then I think we need to be able to ask these questions and they're tough questions and I don't know that I necessarily always have answers for this but here's the questions when we worry inside our own selves about others getting off with a light heavenly slap on the wrist when we are worried that they're not being punished enough or when it looks like people in the scripture are getting easy grace the, the woman caught in adultery that Jesus frankly forgives and she walks out of that temple without accusers How many are saying, yeah, but she just hasn't had time to repent yet. She needs to, she can't have been forgiven. No, she's forgiven. She's got to, she has to make major changes in her life, but, but it looks like she's getting off easy. Well, when we doubt, when we doubt somebody's repentance, and then we feel vindicated, when they relapse or take a step backwards in other words we're saying if you have any kind of relapse in this then somehow you never repented in the first place without recognizing you know, looking at our own lives and saying how many times do we say I can't believe I did that we work hard to change it uh, and then we fall back on it and then we have to kind of repent again people who have asked me that have never dieted. (laughs) They've never had a weight problem. I promise you. Okay? When we secretly yearn for God to be harder on someone than we would want him to be hard on us and our own sins. When we want a harsher penalty on someone else than on ourselves. at those moments we might just need to ask ourselves a tough question and it's this how secure do I feel in my relationship with God if he seems to be being extra kind to some people and quick to forgive what is there about that that threatens my relationship with God Might I have some insecurities about my own worthiness or my own blessings that are coming if somehow I am threatened by God's generosity to someone else? Do I somehow think there's a scarcity of God's blessings and and if they're getting some kind of extra portion it's somehow taking something away from me? So how secure do I feel in my relationship with God? Have I missed, for instance, that the justice of God requires that His grace and mercy consider all the factors, all the hidden crosses that Neil Maxwell used to describe that all all people have hidden crosses. God, the justice of God requires that his grace and mercy consider all the factors that might have contributed to acts of disobedience that we don't even see or that we don't know. I believe, brothers and sisters, that in that, in that process, it's what what some might call and certainly I would this we should call trying to understand this that we need to come to understand God's just mercy it is a it is a justice that requires mercy and the justice of God is merciful we've sometimes tried to separate it the justice is here and mercy is here and and Let's not separate that out. In closing, I'd like to have you take one, let's, I want to go back and revisit for just a second the prodigal son and see if you can't see it from maybe a different perspective uh, and it kind of underscores what it is we've been trying to say here. Our last, Our last piece here. Let me suggest another way of looking at the parable. And it's the one where actually Jesus, as as pure speculation, one of the ways that he might have seen the story was with himself as the prodigal. You'd say, "How, how does that work? Well, if Jesus might have seen himself to some extent as the prodigal, he leaves his father in heaven leaving his divine uh, godship behind and he gains his inheritance that inheritance being his body his physical body and with that he goes down into the world he's going to walk away from his father's house in heaven goes down into the world what happens when he's down there well there, he's treated poorly. As a result, in this process, he does lose his inheritance. He loses his physical body. And he dies. Then there's the moment then, after, he is, after he's lost that inheritance, what does he do? He returns to the father. And, he's, and he returns to his father, and immediately, his robe and his ring it, his airship is restored. They celebrate with a sacrifice of blood. Uh, and and, and in, in this case the, uh, you think about the sacrifice of the temple at that time, celebrating that experience. Okay? Remember, and, and if you wonder about this a little bit, listen closely to what the father in the parable in Luke actually says. The father exclaims twice, both to the villagers and again to the older son. This is my son. He was dead. And he lives again. Then he says, he was lost to me. And now he's found both cases he's talking about a, a death that has been restored the older brother then and the older brother ism is going to accuse this son of riotous living remember how often jesus was accused even by those that had followed john who was like living on locusts in you know in the jordan and it says he is, he's eating with publicans and sinners, not like John the Baptist did. He's accused of riotous living. He's, he's living too well. So, he's eating with sinners, which is what the Pharisees were claiming. And prostitutes, the sinners. Prostitutes. In each case the woman caught in adultery at the temple, uh, the woman wiping his feet with her tears. In each one of those cases, after they have have embarrassed the Pharisees, where else would those women go but to probably follow the disciples and be with them after they have repented and healed? And if this is a group of men traveling in the Judean uh, wilderness and up into the Galilee, and these women are with the group, what dispersions would be cast upon the women why, why are you walking with a group of men a group of single men single women <coughs> Excuse me. what dispersion would be cast on the disciples what are you guys up to and ultimately what dispersion would be cast on the savior for having these women in the camp that part of what the Savior went through was ju- not just the pain and suffering, but also uh, the, re- the, the blast of reputation. So, so in, as, we, as we close, we can close actually with uh, the words of A- the angel to N- Nephi, who says in First uh, Nephi 11, And he said unto me, Knowest thou the condescension of? of God and I said unto him I know that he loveth his children nevertheless I do not know the meaning of all things I don't think we know the meaning of all things we don't know the meaning of those that struggle with their own battles and we certainly don't understand the justice and the just mercy of God in his in extending his love To those that he says, these were lost and now they're found. And I'm going to be more generous than you have any idea. Because they're my children and it's my mercy and it's my love. And I get to be the judge. Brothers and sisters, I pray that we can recognize when we are being, when we don't understand why and how powerful God's mercy is, how fast He is to love, how fast He is to forgive, because we desperately hope He'll do the same thing for us when the time comes. I bear you my testimony that that's that's His intent. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.